It's Pentecost Sunday. A world-changing event happened 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. With the sound of a mighty wind and the appearing as if tongues of fire landing on each of them, the disciples were filled with the promise Jesus had given. The Holy Spirit now within them, they took to the streets to share the message of Jesus. Unusual things happened that day. They shook Jerusalem and the events of that day are still shaking the world. They were empowered. This is Jerry Webb. Welcome to Sunday Sermons. Grab your Bible. Turn to the book of Acts. If you're not familiar, that's Acts, A-C-T-S. Let's learn more about that incredible day. Text for the message comes from uh, the book of Acts today. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and then Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, While he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, 
raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It was a day like no other day. Never been one like it before in history. There'll be another, never be another like it after. It was a day that the disciples had gathered and waited for. They had been obedient to uh, Jesus' direction to them that they should wait. Now, waiting is not easy. It's not easy. But wait, they did. They had found one another after the fear of, of the crucifixion when they had scattered and hidden and now in the seven weeks plus a day since the resurrection of Jesus, they, they had seen him uh, by most counts of exploring the Gospels. They had seen him at least 11 times in those 50 days. And in those days, he had done enough things, including, as we read this morning, eaten with them, to prove that he really was alive. But it was in this time of, of waiting, his ascension to heaven, now waiting for a gift that God had promised, that they found themselves praying together not exactly sure probably what they were waiting for, but it never hurts as a church to be praying together, does it? And they were praying together, waiting for the gift. And then as they prayed, suddenly there came a sound. A glorious sound. It was a sound that began to penetrate their awareness just as on the days when we experienced the, the leaves begin to rustle that have been still and, and the wind begins to stir and to move and then it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And then the sound of that mighty rushing wind invaded their presence, came into the room where they were. And as if tongues of fire 
set their hearts ablaze for God. It was a glorious day. A glorious day. As, as Luke records this event, and we begin reading this book, the book of Acts, Luke has written this to give his friend Theophilus a, the story of uh, the gospel, which he did in the gospel of Luke. And now again, he writes to Theophilus, his friend, to tell him the story of how the first disciples took that gospel message and shared it to the world. Well, we don't know a lot about Theophilus. We know a couple of things. He was probably a pretty influential person. And we know that he had an interesting name, Theophilus. Have you ever thought about what that name means? <laughs> if, you, if you break it down, it's, it's two syllables in, in the Greek. Well, it might be three, but it's two parts, two words moved together. It's the word theo, theos, God. What about that second part that they off fill us? Fill us or fill it. Yeah, fill us. Well, that comes from the word Philadelphia, not the city. The United States wasn't around. But, but the word Philadelphia, which, which is a word in the Greek language, a word for brotherly love. So what's, what's his name mean? Friend of God. Deos, God, Phyllis, Philadelphia, brotherly love, a love for God. And so Luke is sharing with this friend of God the message of the gospel and its expansion. And as this story unfolds and is told to us across the book of Acts, we, we find in it, repeated again, the gospel agenda of Jesus. It's all here. Actually, it, it's all here in, in one verse, but it's all here. It's the agenda of Jesus that requires a divine priority, a divine promise, in a divine partnership. And if you want the whole message of the book of Acts in one verse, you need to look no farther than to verse 8, because you see there the whole agenda of the gospel. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. And if you keep that verse in mind as you read your way through the book of Acts, which I would encourage you to do this summer, you'll find that it's just the story of how the disciples took the message and delivered it to Jerusalem beginning on the day of Pentecost and carried it out through Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, at least the ends that they knew about and could get to. So what, what is the divine priority of the gospel agenda? Well, it's summed up 
in these words. Jesus' whole agenda is the aggressive evangelism of the whole wide world. That's his agenda. That's his vision from the very beginning, was that the gospel would be taken everywhere. It's interesting. Chapter 1, these early verses, the disciples come to Jesus, and they're, they're still asking uh, an important question, but not really the right question. They're asking, when are you going to set up your kingdom, Jesus? When is it really going to be here? See, they're still confused. They're still confused as they were before his crucifixion and resurrection as they expected him to overthrow the Roman government and, and bring back the royalty and dignity of the nation of Israel and their capital of Jerusalem. They wanted to know when that kingdom would be established. They'd forgotten Jesus' own words and his own teachings. And, and he, he had taught them about the kingdom before his crucifixion and after his resurrection he continues to teach them about the kingdom of god but they've missed an important part of it they've missed the gospel agenda remember jesus's words recorded in a couple of the gospels one of the places is luke 17 21. And he says to them very simply in teaching them about the kingdom the kingdom is within you. It's within you. You see, they were off topic. They, they were looking for uh, the kind of kingdom of earthly governments, earthly kings. And they were missing altogether what, what a, a heavenly godly kingdom would look like and so jesus got them back on topic he got them back on topic by changing the subject altogether when they ask him for the ideas of the kingdom and and, and when he would set up that kingdom they said he, he said don't leave jerusalem Wait for the gift my Father has promised. You see, Jesus' agenda, his gospel agenda, is not to defeat Rome. His agenda is to defeat Satan. His agenda has never been a temporary ethnic empire. It has always been an eternal inclusive church always always so the disciples are doing what humanly we can all understand they were saying hey we've always been taught the prophets have taught us the law teaches us that we're a special people and that our nation is a special nation. So when are we going to have this earthly place and privilege that, that comes with that uniqueness that God has said he's given to us? And Jesus says, 
in essence. Quit worrying about that. Worry about this. Worry about being my witness here and everywhere. And if we worry and concern ourselves with, with the topic of his gospel agenda, the kingdom issues become clear. You see, when the church is only looking inward to its own interests, it's off topic. We're missing the mark. Because Jesus' agenda is always about the evangelistic mandate of reaching the world with the gospel. It's not about gathering together in our holy huddles, I call them. Our little enclaves of, of drawing away from the world so that they won't corrupt us. That's not what Jesus says to do. He, he says, you're the influencer. You go. You be my witness. And as you share my gospel, you'll change the world. You don't have to worry about them changing you. You'll change them. Because you'll have the agenda right. So he's given us this divine priority of a gospel agenda that says, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's our agenda. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on. Because he, he talks about the divine promise of the gospel agenda. The divine promise. It's in John, John's gospel, chapter 14, where, where Jesus' words are recorded about this promise that Jesus now says to them after his ascension, you just wait in Jerusalem until this promise comes. But he, he talked about it in John 14. It says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And so on the day of Pentecost, as they're gathered in the upper room, waiting as they were commanded, the, the Holy Spirit of God comes in this great picture of tongues of fire and resides in each of them. And he fills them with his presence and his power and they experience something for the very first time. It was a day of firsts. The first time when when the people of God have really experienced not just the Holy Spirit present in the world, because he's always been present in the world, but he ex they experienced him present in their being. And he infused them with a power. You know, you think about power, it's interesting. There, there are several ways power can be released. And then several ways power can be used. One of the ways we know power to be released is it, it's just kind of unleashed. Another way is it can be harnessed. 
Uh, let me give you an example of each using uh, a, a metaphor, a picture that, that you'll understand. But think about the unleashing of power that happens in, in gasoline. If you have a can of gasoline and you drop a match in it, what's going to happen? Power is released. You, you don't want to be close by there's going to be a massive explosion of power. Or you can take that same gasoline and the power it contains and, and you can harness it. You can channel it through the engine of a car in a controlled burn and it can be used to move great distances with great power. This afternoon, one of the things I will do, it's kind of an annual tradition for me. I'm not a big car racing fan, but some, for some reason, a long time ago, I just got interested in the Indy 500. Maybe it was because one of my friends as a kid was always talking about racing and, and Indy cars. And, uh, this afternoon, they will uh, get in their cars again and do time trials. They did it yesterday, they'll do it today. And they will strap themselves into these little cars uh, that uh, one race driver described yesterday as kind of glorified go-karts. And they will strap themselves in and they will go around that two and a half mile oval four times trying to see who can go the fastest. They will hit speeds of 237 miles per hour or more. The unleashing, the controlled burn power. The Holy Spirit works in both of those ways. He comes upon us in an explosion of power. That's what the day of Pentecost was. It was that explosion of power when he comes into our lives and everything is different. If you've experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about of that explosion of the Holy Spirit in your life in a new way that you've never experienced before. It's awesome. Just awesome. But then there is also the controlled burn of the Holy Spirit that sustains us with power from day to day, that moves us to do God's work in God's ways. It's the controlled explosion that allows the disciples then to go out into the city streets that day and, and share the gospel message of Jesus and do it in a most unique way. They experienced a manifestation of the gift of the Spirit that, that we call the gift of tongues. It was on the day of Pentecost, the ability to speak in a language they had never learned. It's a manifestation of power. The power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And that's the promise that God gives. This promise of the gospel agenda. E. Stanley Jones, the missionary to India, wrote, after Pentecost, there was a quality and a power in their witness that had not been there before. It was a byproduct. 
The witness they gave was the result of the experience they received. The witness was a sense of God in immediate experience. And so that divine promise became a divine partnership that moved them in the, into the streets to speak with power and authority, and everyone heard in their own language. What a powerful experience they had. If you read in that first part of Acts 1, again, you, you find the words that say, Jesus gave many convincing proofs. meant a demonstration of his power over death. Let me read Acts 1-3 again, this time from the Passion Translation. It says, after the sufferings of his cross, Jesus appeared alive many times to these same apostles over a 40-day period, proving to them with many convincing signs that they had been resurrected. During these encounters, he taught them the truths of God's kingdom. And in the Passion Translation, they include a note about this verse that is worth us distilling today. The world is still waiting to see many convincing signs from our lives. Signs signifying that we too have been raised from the dead. Spiritual fruit and spiritual power provide these signs. And so the Holy Spirit given to us, living within us, is a partnership of demonstrating the convincing signs of the validity of the gospel, the message of Jesus. The sign of Jesus' resurrection, a convincing proof. The sign of the disciples moving into the streets of Jerusalem and sharing with them the message of the gospel and being able to do it in such an unusual way. A convincing sign. We see in this a kingdom formula. It's this. Demonstration plus proclamation equals credibility. Demonstration plus proclamation equals credibility. So the credibility for the disciples on the day of Pentecost was that they spoke fluently in languages they had not previously known. But it continues. As you read the book of Acts, you'll find story after story after story after story where there is a demonstration of this divine power, this presence of God. One of them is in Acts chapter three. We're not gonna take the time to read it, but let me summarize it for you because uh, you will all know the story. Peter and John are on their way to the temple one day and they encounter a lame man who asks for alms. He's a beggar because he's unable to work for himself because of his inability to use his legs. He's totally dependent on the charity of the people who come in and out of the temple to provide him with a source of income so he can take care of his needs. 
And as Peter and John walk by that day, they look at him and say something very familiar to us. We know this verse. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And what happened? The lame man walked. The lame man walked. The demonstration and the proclamation is credibility. Said another way, people have to see Jesus in us. They have to hear the words of the gospel from us. And when those two things line up, there's credibility to what we say. Harold gave us the perfect example today. My friend will pray for you. And it implied in that, and I'm sure the friend knows Harold well, is the proclamation of because of Jesus, he hears our prayers and answers. You, do, did you hear anything that would cause you to doubt that that man believed when he called Harold back that he did not think God was at work? Demonstration and proclamation equals credibility. The day of Pentecost, Peter moves into the streets. He and others of the disciples sharing a message, but Peter was the primary preacher that day. He shares this message. Who knows what language he shared it in that day. Maybe he shared it in all of them at the same time. Did you ever think about that? That they all heard in their own language, so maybe, maybe Peter just preached in his own language and they heard it all in their language, whatever way it happened or whether it was different ones preaching Peter's message in different languages. They all heard in their own language. There was a demonstration of the power of God in this miracle of tongues and the proclamation of the gospel that gave them credibility and thousands of people became members of the church that day. So how does this work out in our lives? Let me give you some some things just from uh, these two stories, first of Peter on the streets and then uh, uh, Peter and, and John on the way to the temple. First, they faithfully did what they knew to do. They went into the streets to share the message. The promise had come. They didn't have to wait anymore. Waiting was over. Now it was the time to minister and to share the gospel. They faithfully did what they knew to do, and they stopped and sensitively addressed the needs of the people they encountered. Then they had the courage to face problems that came, and they, they anticipated receiving solutions from them. The people who they encountered began to know that there was some credibility in the message in the works and, and they knew that there were solutions that could come. They realistically admitted their lack of material resources. They didn't have a lot of money. 
wasn't money that bought the lame man's ability to walk that day. It was the power of God at work. And they fearlessly used their God-given authority. That's one we all need to remember. To fearlessly use our God-given authority. Then, they generously gave their spiritual resources. They solved practical problems. And the last two are really important. They gain credibility through demonstration, not just proclamation. It's that kingdom principle. Demonstration plus proclamation equals credibility. And then Peter's demonstration gave him a platform and a convincing, convincing argument. I suspect what Harold's going to find, if he hasn't already, is the story of his friend's wife comes around to many others on the job site. And they're going to hear that prayer played a part in healing a woman. It's going to give Harold a bigger platform on which to stand and to tell the wonders of Jesus. It happens to all of us. But let me ask you two questions and then give us all a, a summer assignment. First question. Do people see convincing signs from you? In other words, do they see the presence of God in your life? Are there convincing proofs that you are a Christian? Second question, is there a spiritual fruit and a spiritual authority that gives you a platform, a place to stand, that makes your argument convincing? Only you can answer those questions. But when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, both of those questions should be yes that people see the convincing signs in our life, they see the demonstration of the gospel at work through us. And they should see the spiritual fruit. And they should sense a sense of authority. Not that we become bossy and pushy and demanding. No, that's not the Jesus way. Jesus' way is to be a servant. But that they sense that there is just an authority that is not our own as we share the love and the gospel of Jesus with others. Here's our homework for the summer. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit all summer long, so get ready. Here's our homework. I'm calling it a kingdom project. The first is to pray Remember I said it's always good when the church is together praying? The first is to pray that convincing signs of God's presence would be evident in your life. Whatever that might look like. Most likely it, it will be the signs of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. 
at bare minimum, those should be evident in our lives. And those are the things we're going to talk about all summer long, those nine things, those nine qualities. So a part of the convincing signs are the fruit of the Spirit in our life and, and His power at work within us. And so our kingdom project is to begin praying for one another and with one another for convincing signs to be seen in us. Fruits of the Spirit, answers to prayer, other gifts of the Spirit to be made evident through our lives. And then convincing and convicting proclamation. That we would pray to be able to share our story with someone else. That there comes from our mouth, not just the, the evidence of our life as people observe us, but, but from our mouths as people hear the story of God in us and from us. And we find creative ways to tell those stories. Some of you know I've been working on my tales from the chicken coop. And some of you don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, my, my mentor has been encouraging me to work on my own personal stories to, to use in my speaking. So to do that, I started thinking about my very earliest memories. And from age zero to five, I lived in a house right behind Grandma and Grandpa Webb's house. And as I lived there in that little house, it had originally been built as a chicken coop and remodeled into a house. And so I've put together a list of 10 of my earliest memories. And, and I'm working on them as tales to the chicken coop. Uh, one of them is my story when I shot the bear. Remember, I've told you that one. I was four years old when I shot my first and only bear. I shot him with a cork gun and turned around and walked away and said, take that. But one of the others is my very first memory of being in church. And I think I can use that little story that'll take me 30 seconds or less to tell as a proclamation of the gospel. You want to know what my very first memory of church is? Maybe I've told you. My very first memory. I had to have been very young. I remember standing at a big white door inside the church nursery, crying my eyes out for my parents to come and get me. Because <laughs> I didn't want to be there. You know what, I think I can tell that story in such a way that I catch someone's attention when I say, I didn't want to be in church. I didn't want to be left there. I don't know what your story is. It's probably not crying at a nursery door. But how can you tell your story, your convincing proclamation of the gospel in such a way that you invite others to join you on the journey of living for Christ. So our kingdom project this summer is to pray for and to develop our convincing signs and our convincing, convicting proclamations. 
and ask God to give us people to share them with. To tell our story in such a way that they want the gospel. To do that, we all need one thing for sure. We need the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We need him resident in our life. We need his power, his grace, his boldness, his courage. Is there any sign in your life that would convince others that you live for Jesus? Is there that sense of the, the spiritual fruit and spiritual authority in your life? If you are saying today, well, yeah, there's some of that, but there should surely be more. Then today's a day, in the day of Pentecost, to again say to the Holy Spirit of God, come into my life with fresh power, a fresh presence, a new enthusiasm that sparks me to live that controlled burn for God. Let's stand and pray. God, we thank you today for being with us. We thank you especially that, that you're with us in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, help us in this moment of worship as we leave to again open our hearts to your Holy Spirit, to invite him in again, and to live with the confidence of knowing that, that we're on a divine journey, a journey that is empowered by the Spirit of God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We ask you to be with us today, tomorrow, forever. Amen.